Hey there, it's Mitch here. And before we get into today's episode, our spring membership drive has officially sprung and we've got one heck of a giveaway. When you make a donation in any amount to Vermont Public by March 16th, you'll be entered to win a new roof valued up to $15,000 thanks to Vermont Construction Company. Your support makes everything we do possible. Make a gift today so we can keep bringing you the trustworthy, reliable news you count on day in and day out. To make your gift, head to vermontpublic.org donate. And thanks. From Vermont Public, this is The Frequency. I'm Mitch Wertlieb. It's Friday, February 9th, and here are today's headlines. Lawmakers are considering big changes to the state's education funding system, which means many communities may delay their town meeting day school budget votes until the dust settles. Governor Phil Scott is urging the legislature to require towns to send mail-in ballots to everyone when the budget votes take place because he says turnout on town meeting day is unusually low. Diane Judd is the clerk in Holland and head of the Vermont Clerks and Treasurers Association. She opposes the plan, saying Vermonters already have a handful of options to vote within 30 days of an election, including requesting a mail-in ballot from their local clerk. I feel that there are so many opportunities for our voters to vote now. If they can't be here in person on the voting day, it just seems like if they cared enough to vote, they would get their ballot themselves. Several House committees will consider the issue in the coming weeks. The developers of City Place Burlington are scaling back housing in the project to add two hotels, which they say is needed to shore up financing for the $200 million development. The project is located in the heart of Vermont's largest city and was set to bring at least 427 new apartments online. The new plan reduces the total number of apartments now to 350 at a minimum, Meanwhile, the number of hotel rooms will be capped at 350. They'll be operated by Jiri Group, a Massachusetts-based development company that's now a minority partner in the City Place project. Mayor Moreau Weinberger, during a press conference yesterday, urged the city council to sign off on the changes. It is my hope that the council will take quick quick action on this and approve it to resolve one of the last remaining sort of uncertainties uh, about um, about, about the project. The city council is set to take up the matter on Monday. The head of the Vermont Criminal Justice Council condemned comments caught on a hot mic during a meeting that led to the immediate resignation of a council member on Wednesday. Michael Major, a former deputy sheriff in Chittenden County, made a dismissive and profane comment about undocumented immigrants who are afraid to be arrested. Before his resignation, he represented the Vermont Police Association on the 24-member council, which regulates law enforcement in the state. Former State Attorney General Bill Sorrell chairs the Criminal Justice Council. I hope the reputation and people's trust in the integrity and the commitment of the council isn't unduly prejudiced or harmed by the shocking and inappropriate statements of one former member of the council. Major said during the meeting he didn't realize his mic was live when he made the comment and was instead trying to talk to his daughter. That's according to Seven Days. Major did not return a call for comment yesterday. Officials from Governor Phil Scott's administration offered more details yesterday on their plans to set up temporary emergency shelters for unhoused Vermonters exiting the state's pandemic-era motel housing program. 
Department for Children and Families Commissioner Chris Winters told lawmakers DCF is advancing plans to stand up a shelter at the Waterbury Armory for around 40 people. They're also moving forward with a family shelter at the former Austin School for the Deaf in Brattleboro and standing up several, quote, emergency shelter apartments in central Vermont. And they're looking into setting up three sites with mobile shelter units for around 45 people each. Winter said the department is trying to finalize the shelters before the pandemic-era program is slated to end on April 1st. All of these intended to, to provide some options, some to try some new things, to relieve some of the pressure in the hotel-motel system. Winters also acknowledged the temporary shelters will not accommodate all the people projected to need housing. This weekend's Champlain Pond Hockey Classic on Mallets Bay has been canceled due to a stretch of warm days. Last weekend, the New England Pond Hockey Classic on Lake Winnipesaukee had to be moved to a smaller lake because of poor ice conditions. That's according to NBC5. Although ice conditions on Lake Champlain were good as of Wednesday, record high temperatures and strong winds this week will weaken and shift the ice significantly. Coming up, retail cannabis has been legal in Vermont now for over a year, but there could be some changes coming from the Statehouse. We'll find out more after this. The Frequency is supported by MVP Healthcare, offering Medicare Advantage plans made for Vermont and guided by doctors, in partnership with the UVM Health Network. Info at uvmhealthadvantage.com. Vermont's retail cannabis marketplace has been open for well over a year. There are now 73 retail stores in operation and almost 400 licensed growers. Lawmakers this year are considering several bills to update Vermont's cannabis law. And Vermont Public's senior political correspondent Bob Kinzel broke them down with Morning Edition host Jen Jarecki. Bob, so there's one major bill and several smaller ones. Let's start with the big one. What does it do? Jen, a key part of the main bill totally changes how the state's medical cannabis program operates. It was 20 years ago that the legislature gave its initial approval to this program. It allows patients with certain serious health conditions to legally use cannabis as part of their treatment. Now, several years ago, there were roughly 5,600 Vermonters registered in this program, and they were able to get their products at a handful of dispensaries around the state. House Government Operations Chairman Mike McCarthy, who is the lead sponsor of this bill, says the creation of the retail market has changed everything. And that's because many medical patients can now access cannabis products much more conveniently at one of the 73 retail stores. And this has resulted in a 50% drop in the number of people enrolled in the program. The evolution of a market where if you can buy cannabis uh, as an adult that's over 21 at a retail location, um, many of the folks uh, are not renewing their medical registry um, cards. Now, Jen, at the same time, state officials have a strong commitment to continue to serve the needs of the remaining medical cannabis patients because the program allows them access to higher potency products and it provides them with other benefits as well. James Pepper is the chairman of the state's Cannabis Control Board. There are a number of patients out there. There's a number of Vermonters out there that desperately need the products and services that are only available at medical dispensaries. Well, if those dispensaries start to close their doors, it's a, it's a direct harm to those patients that need either the confidentiality or the high-potency products. So, Jen, with the prospect of some of the few remaining medical dispensaries shutting down, 
The bill would allow some current retail stores, some of those 73 stores, to apply for what's known as a medical endorsement. And to get this designation, they would have to provide educational programs for the medical patients. And it would also allow these stores to sell the higher potency products that are currently available only to medical patients. But this is a very important point. These products would not be available to the general public. Now, this situation brings us to the second main part of the bill, which would eliminate all THC potency caps that are currently in place for retail customers. Will you explain how that would work, Bob? I mean, are there currently caps on potency for THC levels in products sold at retail stores? Absolutely, Jen. There's a 30% THC cap on cannabis flower and a 60% cap on concentrates. Now, I found out that of the 24 states that have legalized the retail sale of cannabis, two, Vermont and Connecticut, have also implemented potency caps. Joseph Topolsky is lab manager at Satori in Middlebury. They're the largest indoor cultivation site in the state. And he says there are a number of reasons why lawmakers should do away with these potency caps. The removal of potency caps on cannabis concentrates offers a pathway to increased state revenue, market diversification, product authenticity, and enhanced safety standards, and shutting down the black market, which I can think we all can agree is a good thing. But, Jen, there is some strong opposition to this plan. Jill sudhoff Garin represents the Vermont Medical Society. She thinks there are some serious health concerns associated with the removal of these caps. The risks of physical dependence and addiction and psychosis are just indicating that right now we can just hold off and wait um, you know, till we have more data, we feel like the public health impact does not support lifting the caps at this time. So, Bob, how do you think this disagreement over potency caps will be resolved? Well, Jen, sponsors of the bill are very concerned that including the elimination of the potency caps could undermine passage of the rest of the bill. So Representative McCarthy told me he wants to move very slowly on this issue. And I think for now, that's probably the right policy choice is is to you know, make sure we continue to have those products that are currently being used by medical patients available, but we keep the status quo in terms of the potency caps for the adult use market. So, Jen, basically under his plan, there would be two potency systems in place, one for retail customers and another one with higher limits for the medical patients. And with this change, Representative McCarthy is hoping that his bill will be approved by the legislature this year. There's also a bill that deals with a controversial cultivating site in Essex Junction. Can you tell us more about that? Jen, this is a fascinating situation. It really is. There's a small licensed cultivator in Essex Junction who grows around 100 plants. He also has around 30 ducks, and he uses the duck manure for his plants, and he also sells duck eggs. Now, some neighbors are complaining about a very strong odor from both the cannabis plants and the ducks. But for the time being, let's put the duck issue aside. Two local lawmakers have introduced a bill that bans cannabis growing sites in densely populated areas like this one. But as Cannabis Control Board Chairman James Pepper testified last week, the bill would represent a major policy change. And that's because lawmakers have designated cannabis growing sites as a farm operation 
and that exempts them from most local zoning regulations. So this sets up a conflict where, um, you know, the former illegal market were growing in their garages and their cellars and their spare bedrooms. And now that it's legal, they're asking to move outside. Jen, I'm getting the impression because it represents such a major policy change that the committee will want to study this particular bill over the summer. Bob, before we go, and as I mentioned at the outset, Vermont's retail cannabis law has been in place for over a year. I mean, in general, how are things going? Jen, I think it's doing better than many folks predicted. There are now 73 retail stores with another 11 on the way. There are roughly 400 cultivators. Now, 80% are known as Tier 1 growers. This means that their growing space is less than 1,000 square feet. That's pretty small. It's about the size of a two-car garage. So with these numbers, the Cannabis Control Board thinks it's been pretty successful in persuading small growers in the legacy market, the illicit market, to join the legal effort. Sales are larger than expected. They could exceed $150 million in the next year or two. There's a 20% tax on these sales, so that means around $30 million in annual revenue, and a good chunk of this money goes to after-school programs and youth drug prevention efforts. At the same time, the state is moving to protect small growers by controlling overall supply. And that's something that many other states have not done. And a massive oversupply from very, very large growers in those states has led to huge price drops, which have put some of the small growers out of business. And Vermont does not want that to happen here. That's Vermont Public's senior political correspondent, Bob Kinzel. Bob, thank you so much for this cannabis update. My pleasure, Jen. Thanks for listening to The Frequency today. We had additional reporting from Bob Kinzel, Liam Elder Connors, Carly Berlin, and Nathaniel Wilson. Our executive producer is Kevin Trevelin, and our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Mitch Wertlieb. Talk to you Monday. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.